Say that again. Inequity is systemic. All right. Solving for inequity will involve a system. And we're live. Live and direct. Welcome back to the Kindness Economy Podcast. Yeah. We are your hosts. Yep. Courtney King. I am Rebecca Oliveira. And this week we are doing a special episode for tax season, just like personal care and personal finance and investment, general information, stuff that we learned over time and we want to share with you. Mm. Yeah. That's it what happens. we got. It happens. This is a very special week as well because it's our one year anniversary. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh my God. Did, we did, you. This is, For this those of you a little thing. confused, you're just joining us. We actually did a separate thing last year. We started yes. We recorded on April 11th, 2018, and we wow. posted it on April 13th. 13th. That was our first episode of the Housewife Biz Life podcast, which we are no longer doing. Holy this is like cow. season two of the Housewife Biz Life podcast. But it's but it's season one of a real. It's like a, a fully cooked goose of something. I don't know. Fully it, cooked. That's a beast. A turducken. A tur. Oh yeah. Some sort of chimera fully, beast in the roaster. A fully microwave turducken. That's there what we is, are. A, yeah. A, We're just there's something. some chimera action happening in a very very quick cook that we've been at for a year now this is mm -hmm. like holy cow i should have looked up how many episodes we have total but it's probably oh, no, like don't, 30 don't. <laughs> it's like 30 total that's awesome really that's terrifying thank you all oh, of our listeners yeah. new and old thank you Thanks. for joining us thank you for giving us your attention mm -hmm. i am deeply humbled and grateful and happy to provide anything useful that i it's possibly fun can. to have you all along for the ride because lord knows this is a ride it is it is like it is if you remember know. the couch we were oh, on the couch the couch that Chilling. swallowed us yeah it was loungy always recorded barefoot on the couch <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh wow yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. we have come a long way yeah <laughs> so uh yeah, that's how we're getting started with that. So, happy birthday. Yay! Between us, I could say, please consult a professional before consulting a podcast for what your life needs. Now, please imagine you love the sound of my voice as much as I do. While I say, the Kindness Economy, its hosts, Francis Oliveira Media, and its advertisers expressly disclaim all responsibility and make no endorsement and no representation as to the accuracy, validity, or reliability of any advice, opinion, information, or statement made on this podcast. The opinions expressed on this podcast are just that, opinions. Please seek the advice of a licensed professional, whether for financial advice, legal advice, health advice, or any other kind of professional advice. Thank you for your attention. Let's go. So the very, very first thing, most of the stuff, like whatever whatever we're talking about as far as books or resources, most of those resources are going to be available to you at a local library. And we love, oh, we love the library. Yes. And I mean, it's just, there's no reason you have to spend hundreds of dollars on books to understand finances and how to take better care of yourself. Uh, most of these books, um, 
I got these, a lot of the books at the library, and I know mm -hmm. I have reading disabilities. One of the things that I love about the library is the ability I can check out an audio, audio version. book, yes. Libraries carry them. I will do that and the hard copy and read and have it like read to me. It creates a feedback loop uh, so that my ADD doesn't let me get as distracted. It helps so much. So if you have those challenges as well, those are resources available to you. And without you know spending any money at all, if you have the people around you, spending time with very young people, tiny, tiny young people that are with the childlike joy and very, very old people and like the regret that may or may not be chiseled in their face. They will have stories for they, you and they will be happy to share them. They are so down to share their stories. So the free and easy, the library, young people and old people yeah. are the first and most valuable resource that you could possibly want to have access to. And I think the, the point I wanted to make riffing off of that is um, the conversation around money is one of those things that is a huge taboo. People in companies don't disclose their salaries to each other, so you're sort of working in silos. People don't have conversations about money management or issues around it. And I think so on a social level, we're doing ourselves a disservice by making that a taboo. I think Totally. Yeah, like being able to have those conversations and talk more about where we are and how we get to where we are, one, will help demystify a lot of the ooh, spooky, weird financial witchery that happens in the background where it's like, oh, we're just sort of at the mercy of the economy. Yeah, but no, like talk about it. Have yeah. the conversations, start to ask questions, be more curious and be more challenging about it. Um, and not just the money conversation, those four conversations that like in the 80s, at least I was still being told like, you don't talk about sex, money, politics, or religion. Like actually you really should talk about all of those things. <laughs> talk about them a lot and, and talk about them from a place of vulnerability. Don't talk about them like you believe you know everything in the universe. Like seriously, share with your friends and family and, and the people around you who you, who you are. And if, and if you don't know who that is, Figure it out. Sometimes having the conversation helps you figure it out, which means you're going to say a lot of things out loud that are hella wrong, and that's okay. Yeah, that's why it's safe space. That's uh, yeah. a thing. Yeah, just like, just like, come on, work Be it out. Be wrong. <laughs> Have that discomfort. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. So we're going to quickly blow through some book resources. Um, the first, and I love this book, the four agreements is outstanding just to get a good mental mm. i love it i've had it recommended by a bunch of friends yes um yeah i'm like my, my friend was reading it to my kids the other day really it was really cute they oh. were totally listening oh i was the only one that knew how to pronounce Tenochtitlan. <laughs> <laughs> that was super fun I, it's a great book and it's really well written it's got an fun story to it so that's my very first offer and ah how to be your own best friend i i actually picked this up ooh, like around 2000 um when i was at probably rock bottom in the worst bout of depression i ever had um the book itself is dated it's from 1974 and it is seriously dated and there are some <laughs> things in it that are just straight garbage i'll say that up front 
However, there were also some really helpful things in there that were very, very useful to someone who was at rock bottom and just absolutely struggling to open their eyes in the morning. Um, so if you're at the point where you need to have a little help putting one foot in front of the other, understand that yes, there's some bullshit in it, but there's some valuable information in there. I think on my dated and still pretty good list is Codependent No More. Mm. It was written in the 80s, I think. Um, and it has some stuff where it's talking about uh, what is clearly a consent issue. <laughs> but, but they did not at the time have the language consent to be like, was not a thing, that man. is just, that's just rape. That's not good at all. Um, that's kind of weird where like when that part happens in the book and I'm like screaming, oh, that's what? <laughs> like, that was sort of what was happening for me. So that's in there. And also very kind of dependent on uh, like alcoholism. It's very rooted in the 12 step program, which I participate in uh, as a member of Al-Anon mm -hmm. and um, or attempting yeah. to be a member of Al-Anon. I don't mind being out about that. That's fine. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Um, and so it works for me because I'm already in program language, mm -hmm. but other people maybe won't find that super helpful. So that's in there. Um, the Four Tendencies is a book we bring up a lot. Yes. And it's just kind of how to categorize people into groups so that you can set reasonable expectations for them. It's about how people deal with expectations and how to manage people that have different ways of setting expectations than you. And I should break that down a little more. Basically, you either have, you have internal and external expectations, you're either good at it or bad at expectations. And there's four tidy groups there, and most people are obligers, which means they put other people's needs before their own needs. I am personally an obliger, that mm. is, oh, it's a good time. The trouble with that being that you eventually lose your freaking mind. You're just like, I am so frustrated, and you, you kind of have a, it's called re obliger rebellion, where you just, everything is fine, and then everything is existential, and it's really not fine, and it's sudden. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea what you're talking do, about. I do it less. I, I do it less now that I'm older. I'm tired. Um, the, uh, the next group is the, I think it's the uh, questioners who are the ones that set their internal expectations, and they're good with that, but they're not really great with external expectations. They're particularly pr problematic for me uh, because of the obvious... You know, that's the opposite. So I'm just like, they have all these questions and I'm like, dude, I don't have your answers. But apparently there's a point when that stops. That's helpful to know when you're dealing with that. And you know that when you have the questioner, if you answer their questions, now they have buy-in and they're actually there. I didn't understand that was coming. I was just like, when is this gonna move on? So the other group is the upholders they do internal and external really well and the trouble with them is they don't actually understand that most people aren't like that and they're just like awesome and doing their thing why and they're like why isn't it up? why aren't you all this, this is fine what's the trouble and the smallest group which is the one that i married and i love you dear 
uh, is the rebel group and they just don't. And that was helpful for her to know because like before she just sort of thought she was an asshole. And now you're like, oh, actually this is a thing that people do. And it, when you understand how it works, you can sort of work around and accept and love people as they are and realize that we all have these tendencies and it's it's actually pretty basic when you break it down also Gretchen Rubin is so nice I love her as an author she's pretty great <laughs> so uh we talk a lot about the four tendencies because I think it's really a useful resource and I love that breakdown it maybe saved my marriage that's probably fair legit legit um we did the oh, oh when things right. fall apart hard advice for difficult times by pima Chod. Cho i cannot pronounce her name for the love of me children um that sounds right it's oh, i talk sometimes i talk oftentimes about uh a lot of plans and a lot of ideas are made and uh, expected to be held to with an idealized version of yourself or of the world or of everything else in front of you. And what really gets glossed over and not acknowledged is the fact that things do not go according to plan all the time. You are not your ideal self. You are not in your ideal situation. Things go sideways. People die. Accidents happen. You go to some dark places. So the things you need to do need to take into account that that darkness and when things do not go according to plan and when you're not there um and I this like we've got some buddhist themes here yeah and i mean like having that book and being able to read it and in like the encouraging of like you're gonna face some dark times it's okay and I think the first time I read it, I opened it, and on page two of the intro, I burst into tears and dropped the book. Just like, I can't. I can't. Um, I'm going to have to get to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is it is something that I come back to. Like, I keep it by the bed and just sort of revisit it when I want to give my less than ideal self a hug mm. and just sort of be there. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one I have for like the mental health self-care stuff is adult children of emotionally immature parents. Mm. Now this one is sort of like an update of Codependent No More. And the reason that I really enjoyed it is there's a thing that I noticed when I became a parent and like as your children are slowly growing up and like they change, right? There's just little people. And they, they stay the same, but they also change and they develop their capacity to deal with stuff. And I realized, oh, people that are jerks are oftentimes not in fact jerks. They've literally not matured past the point of being two years old or three years old or four years old. And it allowed me to have a lot more empathy to people who are just being difficult. Because like I, I can understand, I could see them as a tiny child now. And I can't be mad at the tiny child. Also, sometimes the tiny child is me. Just so we're super clear, like sometimes the person freaking out and acting like a two-year-old in an adult suit is me. We all have a turn in the high chair. And it's, it's, it's very helpful to understand what that is. It's not that I am a jerk or that they are a jerk or that 
my parents even, you know, if they were emotionally immature, that they're, they're not jerks. They're just, they're doing their best with limited resources. And, and to be able to love that human to the whatever degree I can, which is not always a lot, honestly. Mm. But that's what I loved about the book. And that's, it's a thing, a part about, like it, it really spoke to the things that I, I understood about, uh, like it helped me understand about the world by having children, that, that like to see them and be like, oh, if I don't teach you how to not do this, you're gonna do this until you're 40. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Like, that it, it suddenly also became a very intense responsibility to make them not, not giant man children. <laughs> like, oh, that's my job. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the ride. That's the ride. So uh, that's the self-help stuff. Yeah. I've talked about the physical care stuff. Are my, my two favorites are uh, Trail Guide to the Body, which is recommended to be by uh, physical therapists and massage therapists. Mm. And it's the way that the musculature of the body is connected so that you can understand uh, the the chain of action from where it starts in your back to where it goes down your limbs. And then when you have pain in your body, you can trace the trail back up to your spine from wherever the pain is. This book is, shows you how, where those trails are. It's really neat. The other one, I know we talk about it all the time, is uh, Supple, Supple leopard. leopard. Of course. Oh yeah. We all wanna just spring up in the morning like a supple leopard. And it's all about mobilization and self-mobilization techniques using, he's gonna offer you expensive tools to use, but there are cheaper options available. I will link those in the show notes. But just if you have any pain in your body, it's a great way to relieve it if you're looking for that. Um, financial books. Mm. And I know it's not a financial book, do you want to bleed, uh, bleed into it then? Yeah, I think right. we're going to start here. Okay. Finite and Infinite Games to get your head on right. Like this is like, this is my transition book from, from personal From care personal into finance. To finance. Like get your head on right. Are this you playing? Changes, this changes the framing. If you, are you playing a finite game or are you playing an infinite game? Are you playing a game that you, you're the only one can win it? Because that's not super fun for everybody else. And how do you expand your ability to embrace possibility and embrace the potential of the things you can't control. Yeah. I love the, this book. All my carny friends, dude. Yeah. All our carny friends love it. I, I, I think we talked about it one week and then I went to a party and everybody at the party had just read the book and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> serendipity it's like all right it's in the air but the book does change the framing of how you look at moving through the world that's whole uh i don't know social darwinist kind of like must get to the top must be the best the fastest the biggest the whatever yeah and this kind of flips it on its head like no, let, let's cooperate let us keep the ball in play like i'm not gonna just sit on it and declare myself king of the mountain. No. Screw you guys. I'm going home. I'm going home. <laughs> no, screw that. Like, it's not I'm, a fun. Nobody wants to play with that kid. I'm going to toss it back to you. Let's, go, let's keep things moving. Mm -hmm. Your thing was your financial. Oh, going into financial things. All yeah, right. So mine is like more mine. Blah, blah. 
take two. Mine is more of a story because like how we stumbled across it. Um, Please, we love stories. Story time, story time. We could break up the thing, story time. Story time. Uh, when, when Roy and I got together, we were broke. Brokey broke, broke. And had moved cross country uh, from south to north, uh, from Atlanta to upstate New York. And we're trying to figure out which end was up. Um, Can I challenge some of your language there? Okay. The broke. Since. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Since going to India, I no longer say poor or broke or any of that. I, I just, I, I say I was experiencing scarcity because it's relative. We were hella scarce. Like the like, scarcity, like it, it's a, it's a, it's about a mindset. All right. Well, I, I mean, I had the lights turned off. That was pretty. Uh, <laughs> I guess it is all relative. It's a broke, bro. You could be broke, be broke. Uh, yeah, Thank you was, for listening. No, that's, then that's a legit thing. Like looking at the language that you use around it. But like, that was our experience. We left Atlanta and like came up to New York and our circumstances had changed, but we did not, we hadn't quite wrapped our heads around it yet. So we were sort of like money. Wait a minute. What? How did the oh? And there was this. Uh, this was before podcasts. This was before iPods. And there was <laughs> this wonderful thing, this institution known as National Public NPR, National oh. Public Radio. I like to give them money. Oh yeah, I love to give them money. The best way to get over the annoyance of the subscription drive is to just is to subscribe. Just give them money. <laughs> uh, but we listened to NPR, and there was this show called uh, Sound Money. And it was an hour-long show, and it was about money. So, you know, Brian and I are just kind of like, there's this weird thing, money. It's coming into the house. We don't know what to do with it. We're listening to the show, and it started with, like, such basic things, like how to pay down debt. What? Wait, we can eliminate our debt? (laughs) This is a thing that's possible? Um, So, yeah, like, we started chipping away at things and prioritizing and chopping down the debt um and each week they would take a different topic it would be like debt and credit cards and interest that uh show and we would get in the car and like ride around for an hour listening to the show and then like keep riding around and then have conversations about it which was also sort of an exercise because we were getting used to having conversations out loud with each other about money which was something neither one of us was really used to. Also in a spaceship traveling through time and space. Just, uh, you don't have to think of it that way, but I choose to. Carry yeah, on. I mean, it happens, it's real. Um, but be, like practicing having the conversation, have, practice saying things about it out loud. Again, like breaking that taboo, talking with each other about it. Um, that radio show wound up getting acquired by Marketplace which is now a beloved podcast. You can listen to them on National Public Radio or on your own device, be it your smart speaker or your phone or whatever you listen to your stuff on. But it's sort of the same thing where they do deep dives into topics around money, finance, and things in modern modern money, how it all comes about. Um, and we don't listen to it the same way anymore because it's been know, like 20 years now. Wow. I mean, the, uh, yeah, we're old. But uh, I'm just thinking about like 
committing that much time if I had done that 20 years 20 ago. 20 years ago, uh -huh. yeah. No, this, this was a long thing. Um, when we weren't sure if we were going to settle in upstate New York or not, and we were trying to figure out, like, okay, what are the things we need to learn in order to buy a house? Sound Money was there, and we listened to it, and they went through, like, we looked up episodes, and it's like, oh, they have episodes online. Again, it was just oh. archives, like, oh, okay, this is a thing. Um, so being able to figure out, like, oh, and that's when we did the whole great uh, credit score rehab project, which takes seven years if you have a major fuck up on your credit score seven years is how long it takes for things to roll off if you cannot rehab them so don't sweat it just understand it will take time and you like keep chipping away at it see we didn't understand that without listening to the thing but for real yeah seven years that's that's what it takes it's it's interesting actually uh i I just got in and out of uh, debt mm. multiple times, with, mm. um, and I had just finished the last. I've gotten in and out of debt like thirty thousand dollars three times. Mm. It was not not learning the lesson there. Just just slow, slow on the uptake. Sometimes you got to revisit. <laughs> so uh, the third time though, I was like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, by the third time, I. I had figured out my mistakes, many, several hey, mistakes, hey. whatever I learned. Yeah. Anyway, when we, this actually is another story. Uh, my spouse and I, when we decided we were gonna get married, we were like, okay, I wanna have kids, me, Rebecca. I wanna have kids. My spouse is like, that terrifies me. And here is uh, Elizabeth Warren's book, the two income trap about why I am afraid of having children. And the in the, the thing that she repeated over and over and over again was every child you have doubles your chances of bankruptcy in America right now. And it might be more than double mm. at this point. Mm -hmm. That's real. Uh, that's the data that Elizabeth Warren, like Senator Warren is a legit economist, <laughs> okay? Um, she's a badass too. Uh, so we, we started saving money because we were like, okay, if we're gonna have a kid, we need to have something to make sure that like we're easing that that risk. Mm -hmm. um, and then we we check. Well, we checked in with our landlords, and we're like, hey, we'd like to rent from you forever. And they're like, great, we would love for you to rent from us forever. This is our retirement. This is gonna be great. And we're like, cool. Um, a year later, or a couple, maybe a year and a half later, we're most of the way to our goal. And our landlords email us and are like, so our kid is going to start preschool and we need to do something about that. So we're going to sell the unit. Mm. And then we suddenly had to like, we were doing pretty good, but we had to double down. And when I doubled down, I found Mr. Money Mustache. It's financial freedom through bad, badassity. And the one thing that I loved and can easily like be like, this is useful to just about anybody, is he breaks down what you actually need to retire. Mm. And what you actually need to retire to be financially independent that he's talking about is you have to have enough money that the interest on that those dollars could fund your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So the game is get your lifestyle 
to like nothing. And it's sort of a like, it's like The Millionaire Next Door. It's yeah. a great book. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Like it's, it's just about living so simply. Um, the beginning of The Millionaire Next Door, the, the author of the book is talking about how he was having meetings to meet these millionaires and he was setting up like caviar and champagne for these people. No. And they're like walking in and be like, do you have any Budweiser? And he's like, what? I mean, I thought you were rich. Like you, you, uh, uh, yeah. and he was like, no, I mean, I usually drink Budweiser or like whatever's on sale. Yeah. And that's the, di- that's the, that's the business right there. I love, yeah, you know, right. the generics of whatever. <laughs> you know, just so good. I missed a cocktail. Um, <laughs> there's just, there's no reason to spend more than you need to. And it breaks into the like the keeping up with the Joneses of the buying all the bullshit that you don't need. Well, when you don't buy all that bullshit, you can actually downsize pretty easily and keep your cost too. Now he gets real intense. And like we were not using the dryer. I was hang drying all of our clothes. We were cooking all of our food in giant pots for freezer. Yeah. I was, it, it was you were I, we were scrounging so that we could maybe get enough money to maybe buy this apartment. Um, and while I'm on the subject, I know maybe last week it made it sound like, you know, by virtue of us saving the dollars, that's why we were able to buy our house. That's a part of it. Uh, more important was like some dude in the building died. <laughs> and then the whole building went into probate for like 18 months. So that was not time we were supposed to have to save. Also, other random chaos and acts of God were, were put into play and somehow we managed to get this house. Yes. It is not like you save dollars and then you automatically, no, 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 There was chaos and luck, a lot, a lot of luck. Yep. So I, I don't want to act like saving is the, the answer to everything. You can't save anything if you're living hand to mouth. And I, I, mm. I don't want to act like this is the, you know, silver bullet. It's expensive bullet. to not have money. Yeah. It is very expensive to not have money. So after you're at the part that Courtney was talking about where you're just getting out of debt and now you're like, okay, how do I build a nest egg? Yeah. How do I do that? Mr. Money Mustache was an incredible free resource uh, for when you want to go hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking about like how, like I was using payday lenders for a minute. Mm. yeah which is its own thing do not do not use payday lenders i actually like took six months and like gritted my teeth and just paid everything down on those but then like that is so predatory i can't even understand how it's legal just don't do it please don't (laughs) so with mr money mustache which is like a modern bloggy blog my favorite book is free because it's so old. It was discovered on clay tablets. That's real. Everything financial is derivative. It's old. <laughs> this is old science. So The Richest Man in Babylon, you can find a PDF on the internet for free everywhere. It is 22 pages. And even before I discovered all my tricks about ADD stuff, I was able to get through it. And I'm not saying that it's not going to take somebody else longer, but it's small. It's playful and fun and easy to read and it basically talks about just super basic money management and like just like what you were talking about you get out of debt first Mm. 
And then when you maybe have a little bit saved up, you're going to save up a little bit for emergencies, but mm -hmm. then you have a little bit more than enough saved for emergencies. And what do you do with that dollars? Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> and it talks about like that slow progression. And you know, when you have those extra dollars, all of a sudden, like the thing that it says not to do is don't get into like the blitz and boom of whatever trendy tulips might be on display for right now. Uh, do stuff that you understand. Whatever it is that you do in the world, you understand something. Invest in that industry. Don't look at whatever CNN money whatever no. is talking about no, and no, be no. like, yo, that looks no. cool. No. Whatever no. sounds like fast no. money. There is no good fast there money. There is no fast Financial money. Financial advice is boring as shit. Otherwise, the people peddling it are assholes. <laughs> Just straight up. That's real. Because it should be super simple and boring. The exciting stuff is usually putting everyone else at risk and it's not worth it. But this is a cute story and it's also nice to think about like this, nothing, none of this has changed. None of this has changed. And I brought up the tulips already. Yeah, the next I was, was going to joke of that, that. I think the first thing we did when oh, we got out of <gasps> wrong mouse pad. I know. Uh, the first thing we did when we got out of debt was after we were done staring at each other like, what? I know you well, definitely party. <laughs> no, we just kind of stared at each other like, wait a minute. But there's an in your body party. Yeah. You don't have to go yeah. spend any money. No, we went and got some seeds and we planted, we planted a window garden and then Cute. start. Yeah. And like focused, I think for like six months on like cultivating this garden so that we could eat out of our own garden. Cute. Which sounds like, yeah, we're dorks. That's, I mean, I'm. But it was like, it made us feel good. And if there was one point, it was spring and the snow had finally melted and you could finally see shoots and everything. And we made fresh pesto out of basil and like put some spinach in it. And we had a bread machine that my parents gave us. And we made some bread and had pesto and pasta and bread out of our own window garden. And we're sitting there and I'm like, I feel satisfied with my life. That's a good. I don't. Yeah, like I don't know what's gonna happen next, but that feeling of satisfaction is just so tremendously. Ah. Uh. And now I have a tangent Do to it. run off of that. Do it. Uh, this is a movie, a film, motion picture. Uh, it's a documentary, Still Bill, and it's a documentary about Bill Withers. He was a great guy, is a great guy, um, has done a lot of phenomenal music. He's still alive and he like retired, I'm using air quotes around retired. He basically walked away from the industry and there were a lot of things that he could have done in order to get more, be more, gimme, 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 like get higher up in charts and accolades and everything else and he just walked away because he was satisfied he was satisfied with what he had. And there's a line that he says in there, mm. on your way to wonderful, you're gonna pass through all right. Take a good look around and get comfortable with whatever all right is, because that may be it. That you like, you may shoot right past it and come back to all right. Yeah. Like, but take a good look around when you get to all right. And for me, for Roy and I, all right, was having the garden. That's cute. Yeah, I'm just saying. Still Bill, good movie. So the one thing I left out about Mr. Money Mustache is his math. The mm -hmm. math is you do 
all of your annual expenses for the year, mm -hmm. multiply that by 25, and then calculate a 4% safe withdrawal rate, which is your your stocks, even if they're in really boring stuff, is going to produce somewhere between 7 and 10% per year. Mm -hmm. And then you take out 4% uh, is a safe percentage to withdraw. I do not like that it... Um, seems to leave out taxes uh, in a way that I don't like. But it's still helpful to sit down and be like, I know I spend this many dollars per year. If I want to retire, I need to do this math. And I know what dollar amount I need to do that. Mm, yeah. Um, and as we started like thinking about the future and being like, you know, I don't really count on Social Security to exist right now, given the way things are operating. Ding, ding, I feel ding, like ding. I need to do this myself. Mm -hmm. um, and when you start... Now we go back to uh, the next book that I want to talk about is A Random Walk Down Wall Street. The, that, that, that boring investment strategy is coming right out of this book and it's because there are trendy bullshit investment options all the time. It's been happening since the 1700s. This is a thing that since we've had financial markets, dipshits and scumbags have been leading us astray with shiny pretty things that we get super into Investing should be boring as fuck. If you have enough to do exciting investment, you need to be doing it with like all of your heart in a place of, I am letting this go. I yes. never expect any of this to come back again. Yes. And in general, I would say that my, my mentor when I was younger, I love her so much. Uh, she was the person that said to me, there's nothing glamorous about being poor. At one point, I was 21 or whatever. Um, she also said to me that uh, everybody knows that tobacco kills and, the, and that fossil fuels are destroying the environment. But I have uh, tobacco and oil in my portfolio. Because that's just where the money is. And a concept that they talk about in a one random walk down Wall Street is you should take on as much risk as allows you to sleep at night. And I'm saying with the two here putting it together is it's the emotional risk. What's going to keep you up at night about like I understand that uh, displacement is a thing right now in real estate, but I still have investment points in real estate mm -hmm. in specific mm -hmm. things. Yes. I know that the medical industry is largely exploitive and probably largely illegal and probably going to go out of business soon, hopefully, with single payer. That'd be nice. Um, but it's not happening yet, so we're still in there. And it's the uh, there's, a, there's a moral and financial risk that you need to think about. I'm not telling you what the right answer is, but you're going to know when you can't sleep at night. You can't see me. I'm nodding. So that is super important. I'm going to put links for the four pillars of investing because mm -hmm. I find that to be a classic. I put in the last one is anti-fragile. Now, this is a book written by a guy who's kind of a jerk. And I don't know that I would, I don't know that either one of us would enjoy talking to each other, but I wouldn't mind doing so if that came up. So... The idea is that there are certain things that companies do to make them fragile. 
So for example, a company that's largely based on government subsidies, well, that's a single point of failure ready to go. That company's probably not going to do very well. Um, other things that it's helpful to understand, uh, I think I'm going to get into this in the second segment. Um, just the idea, like the two companies that I feel like it made me love even more was Costco and JCPenney's because they're so good to their employees in the nineties when I was, you know, a minimum wage worker, it was like the, the job you wanted. My friends and I were lusting for the jobs at Costco. And the, the idea was that the, that the legend, I don't know if this is true, is that, you know, they thought that if they just were good to their employees, the employees wouldn't union and the union seems to be, and I'm not trying to be anti-union, but they do actually work with the Teamsters. But if we're just good to our employees, they don't need to unionize. Just be good to the employees. You don't need to unionize. If we have to have a union make us be good to the employees, we're largely just spending extra money on an extra layer of management. You could just save both the employees and the employer's dollars and just instead of making the union necessary, just be good to the employees. So all of us wanted to work at Costco. <laughs> And also Sears at the time was it was in that bracket in the 90s, but it, they, you know it's really, really hard to do business that way and be good to your employees. Mm -hmm. It's obviously more beneficial given the way that we're doing now to just work people to the ground, which is terrible for humans, for neighborhoods, for communities. So I, yeah, that's the best that I could get out of that book. I don't necessarily, in, it, but if you find it useful and you're like, I want to know more about that, that'll be there. I would get it from the library. That dude doesn't need any more money. <laughs> um, so that's going to be our first segment. It is yeah. uh, really hard on the books, but that's okay. I'm going to leave a lot of notes for everybody. I will be right back. And we are back segment two. Hey, a little bit this. more little specific stuff, but not books. Yeah, Correct. that was pretty heady, heady opener. That's all right. Um, do you have, let's, I feel like I've talked too much. What? Just, just go with it. <laughs> um, the thing that I, that I only have two things for this segment. So like the, when I left my job to start having kids, um, I was able to look at like the, the jobs that are available right now. If you're working in retail, that's a real tough industry, especially if you're doing print media retail, that's like brutal. Um, food service is great, but the people, uh, your customers are mm -hmm. real hard. It's real hard to serve food to, to hungry people. That is a very generous description. Who are accustomed to being fed and are hungry and irritable so generous here with this language yeah y'all are straight up abusive i'll be honest it's mean the way people come into a restaurant and act when they're hungry so serving tables isn't necessarily you know i not where i wanted to go um when thinking about like okay i'm going to leave work for years and perhaps redo my career because mm. i'm going to take care of the kids for a few years mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, trade is definitely the way I want to go. And the the 
three that I looked at the hardest was electric vehicle technician. And there was a program down in Fremont. I was trying to figure out how to get down there nights on Thursdays and mm. Saturday. I was just like, this is going to be fine. I already understand enough about auto mechanics. I can pivot it over to this. Word. HVAC, if I didn't have any audio, or not audio, if I didn't have any uh, automotive background, mm -hmm. I would totally do HVAC. When you go driving up and down I-5, you will see like a dozen per county driving north, north of Sacramento. It, it people asking to hire HVAC technicians and and most of the work even if it's installation the installation work is fun at least it's fun for me um and the the job is mostly the thing goes off either you're installing or if you're doing maintenance there's a warning that goes off you've got a truck filled with filters you go from location to location and change filters that's the job you're in a truck you don't have to sit at a desk the whole time you're like getting up and moving around about every 40 minutes at the most you change a filter and move on if you if it's something more complicated than a filter change you fix it you've got the training to do that um, and the, the like above that would be electrician and that's the other thing driving up and down i-5 you see tons and tons of hiring electrician signs mm. And we've done so much damage devaluing trades. I don't even know why that was necessary, but part of our, our housing cost issue in the, at least California is that we vilified trades to the point where there aren't any tradespeople to do the work. And then it, you know, that becomes a supply and demand problem. It's real basic math. We literally import my brother-in-law from Idaho to do the work because <laughs> it's so expensive to do the work here because there's just no contractors, especially not that can afford to live in like the Bay, San Francisco proper. They're often like driving down from, you know, Petaluma or mm -hmm. sometimes even from Bakersfield. It's no, that's, that's been pushed out. I remember actually when when trying to figure out several things in my uh, tra personal trajectory, um, I, parentheses, I am a, tr a certified welder. Like I went through the- You're a badass. I knew that already, but that's I, just- No, like I went through- That's almost too much. <laughs> when we lived in New York, I was unemployed and was like, uh, there, there were windows where I was unemployed and I was like, well, I got to do something with my downtime, so I went and became a welder because the state was training people, and it was like, yes, yes, I will sign up for this. This is like through this SUNY? Yeah, I'll do it. So I got my certificate and everything. I was in there with uh, electricians, and that was when I figured out, okay, like I got the welding. I'm in this class with all these electricians. I'm having conversations with them. When we came out here, there was a window where I was like, all right, I'm going to do the job applications for the things that me mesh with my career as it stood up until that point in time. But if I couldn't find anything, I was going to take the test to become like sit and become an uh, apprentice and go through the trade and become an electrician because why not? And my parents were like, oh, but it, isn't that yeah, there was that sort of eh, that 
that downplaying of the trades. Yeah. Uh, but my grandfather was like, hell yeah, because my grandfather was a tradesman. <laughs> and you, like college just isn't for everybody. For real. It's just it's not. It's really not. It's really and like, not. I, as someone with reading problems, it's definitely, I struggled at, with school at all. So trade union work would have been a great option but, for me. Yes. And it's unfortunate that no one encouraged me as a young person to pursue. To look it. into that. I mean, there the, was... the kids that I've seen that have the flexibility and financial whatever, it's because they have like that kind of the good job, like some sort of trade back background. Mm -hmm. But there's 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 a class uh, thing going on. At least I'm gonna say when I when I was growing up, because uh, I was on like a heavy academic track in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you're going to do the thing and you're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree and that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but there was also a track that was uh, VOTEC, vocational tech track. And there was a place, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. There was a place called the Career Center. And kids on that track, uh, junior and senior year of high school, they would take, like they'd go to you know, straight classes in the morning. And then in the afternoons, they would go to the career center or like flip it around. And they would take vocational training at the career center. So there was automotive tech, there was broadcasting, there was like That was where I got my automotive yeah. education was yeah. the, the, after, the programs so, in the high school. Yeah, and it's like, and I knew that it existed and I was like, that sounds awesome where do i sign up and my parents were like absolutely not that is not what we are having you do i also wanted to be a truck driver when i was little and they were not having any of that either i want to hug little you like <sighs> oh you could be a truck driver uh, you know i wanted a i wanted a royal purple semi that would look so amazing my parents were like nope no no you don't you don't get that choice <laughs> Um, that's funny. Uh, the thing that I think a lot of folks that, uh, folks feminized or not folks socialized as women, that's me. <laughs> um, they tend to communicate differently. And when you're working in trades, people will ask you questions. And the thing that I find that folks like us struggle with is we want to give an explanation instead of an answer. And just like the thing that my sister, she was doing an electrician school thing. And that was mm. the thing that her teachers were telling her, like, I just need an answer, not an explanation. Yeah. And, you know, spit it out, just get to the thing, get it done. And you can get on with doing other things for yourself, you know? So that's yeah. my that's future proof job thing. That I feel like it's just like I at a certain point I was just like I called all my family members who had teenagers. Mm -hmm. I was just like, no, you need to let's talk about the trades. I know colleges are important, but just like, can we please don't denigrate the trades for real? The uh, on future proof jobs, and I don't like I'm I don't have a crystal ball. I really don't know what jobs are future proof. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but <laughs> there's. There is a definite shift in the perceived value of labor um, as far as things shifting from uh, blue collar 
jobs, and I think I've talked about this before, where there's this whole thing, a lot of blue collar jobs are getting automated. Yeah. And so that's the reason the growth. Yeah. There's a reason that I picked these. So the EV tech, the electric vehicle tech is like obvious because we're going into electric automated Automated. car situation, right? Those are different engines and that's fine. The HVAC tech, the reason that that's important is because the internet is not on the cloud that doesn't go into vapor no, or it whatever. Exists it exists things. on a computer in a rack in a room filled with racks. Yes. And that room needs to be kept at 55 degrees at all times. Yes. And the HVAC system is how that works. Yes. So the internet and the future needs a Depends lot on HVAC. of HVAC. And there just isn't, a, a, there's not at all the labor to meet that demand. Hello, I can tell you about actually. Yeah, I can. That's so sort it's not of like I know that, the future, but I just like we could see yeah. some trains on some tracks here, people. Yeah, I mean that's the sort of company that Roy works at now, like making the shift from working at a tech, like working in the engineering part of a tech company to working at the tech part of an HVAC company that serves server farms. Yes, I mean that's <laughs> and that's also the real estate that I in, put money into. There's actual uh, investment instruments that are focused on what's called colos mm-hmm. uh, where the which is where the servers are kept so there's just like whole buildings out in vacaville and uh, all over the place that which are just, need hella air conditioning just filled with servers <laughs> and that's just real estate you know it, it's stuff happening out in the middle of nowhere so i'm not, it's not putting pressure on housing in urban areas it's, so there's a lot of i feel like a lot of good in that and it's yeah I mean, just going up from right now because I mean, the internet's from not that getting company smaller. do a lot of travel to other places to visit places Mm -hmm. um but in that shift because like you know there are some jobs that are that do fall under the umbrella of blue collar but uh there's also basically gonna like there's a huge aging that's gonna happen yeah the boomers being the biggest like that's a thing that's happening and as far as like having caretakers and that sort of that human touch that isn't like you can't automate empathy like you can't automate care or giving a fuck about someone who's in front of you going through physical decline Um, or passing or yeah or you know like my job and how it ties into death like Mm -hmm. there's only going to be more dead people I hate like, yeah. like for real. <clears throat> That's true. Being completely honest about that. The alternative is some horrific shit. Yeah, so it's not. Uh, but because of that, there's that that potential growth in fields that, at least now, are currently considered more pink collar. And I'm like using air quotes. Also, pink largely collar. underpaid. Yeah, like just, well, it's undervalued it's because so... it's seen as feminized labor. Feminized, or the feminized labor. Mm-hmm. These are the, these are caring things. This is something a woman's supposed to do. We're not going to pay much money for and it. And by it's women, like, no. we mean the women and or other humans we feel like we own. Mm. So just so we're super clear about that. Mm. The, when we think about free feminized work, it's the work that people are largely either slaves or wives that are the ones doing it. Free labor. <clears throat> and... That's why it's like, why should I have to pay for this? I just need a wife. Because, you know, obviously having a slave is terrible, but, you know, putting your wife into a position where there's just no choice and, no, you're going to stay home and take care of me until I die. Well, just be honest about that agreement. Go in there. Just be honest. (laughs) Just be honest. Yes. (laughs) Go there. (laughs) 
Um, uh, that's a completely different episode. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but it but it's relevant. It is hella relevant to this because it is that that gendered exchange of we're gonna value. have to re we're gonna have to reevaluate. Like it's it's easy to see how trades and HVAC like mathematically are necessary. Yeah. Until those really stubborn old people who didn't get the wives they wanted are like I but I'm still dying. <laughs> um Yeah. So like, that's yeah. I mean, my, I, I tend to skew kind of morbid, but again, it's because... That's the game. I'm We're all going to die. I'm working at that end of the scale. That's where I live, so there you have it. <laughs> I would look great as a vampire, though. I will say that. Oh, but get your goth on. Get your goth on. Where are we but at? Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, doing the answers and not explaining and session-proof jobs and diversified life. Oh, that's my note, diversify life. That goes back to what you were talking about earlier as far as um, talking to young people, talking to old mm. people, putting various kinds of people in your life from different cohorts, age groups, et cetera, et cetera, because you're going to get different perspectives and stories on how to manage things. I mean, like going back to... Uh, money and having conversations about it um there was there was the great recession which always cracks me up because it's like no that shit was a dep depression that was totally a depression like, no. but um roy and i got laid off 11 days apart from each other mm. and we were in a completely different place than we were the last time we were like in any kind of upheaval so when we got laid off we had the ability to kind of look at each other and go oh well what do you want to do and not panic so we wound up going on a cross-country road trip we also read grapes of wrath while on said cross-country road trip don't do that that is so depressing um but didn't <laughs> see yeah that's shutter <laughs> no but we went to visit all kinds of family and visited my grandfather. At that point, he was like, what, 95 or something like that? And it was really interesting because he had to work through the Great Depression. And was, he was the one that was like, they're just calling it that because they don't want to scare people. This is a depression. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, tell us more about that. And he talked about how what got he and Geggy, my grandmother, through was re like being resilient, being comedic, being able to laugh about everything. And he said, there are a lot of my grandchildren I worry about, but I don't necessarily worry about you all because you are pretty upbeat about everything. You're able to look at everything no matter how much it's beating you down or how scary it is and this is kind of scary and you're able to approach it with a smile and hearing someone who had lived that long tell us that basically like this is rough you have what it takes you're gonna make it was so <sighs> like oh i had kind of a moment like that with my grandfather uh my stepmother's 
father he was talking about that i talked about it before when he was like the importance of luck mm -hmm. and that you understand how important luck is and that it's not just the effort that you put in that there's not necessarily merit involved at all that just having gratitude for luck is so powerful <clears throat> so important um and the time that i spend with my grandmother mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's it's really humbling like you know i did the really cliche on facebook thing of like what would you do what would you tell your 13 year old self and i asked grandma and she's like nothing like i had no agency mm -hmm. at all until I didn't have, I, I belonged to my, this is what she said, nothing. I had no agency. I belonged to my father and then I belonged to your papa. Hey. <laughs> there was no, just, and that like hit me hard. And it's like, and she didn't have, she didn't feel like she had any agency until at one point, like she was, I don't know what the fight was about, but she wanted to like, um, rearrange the house mm -hmm. uh, she wanted to remodel the house yeah for a more open floor plan or whatever and so uh while my papa was at work she instructed <clears throat> her two young children who were big enough to swing hammers <laughs> to uh destroy a wall between the uh the kitchen and the dining room All and right. then and like and she describes like she describes the situation as like she's got three kids. One of them's my mom, and my mom is a little bitty baby. Mm -hmm. And then like that, you know, my mom is also eight and eleven years younger than her siblings. So like, my grandma talks about it often. Actually, like I didn't know whether or not I was gonna leave Papa, and I had this baby, and like I didn't know what to do. And so what she did was tear down a wall while Papa was at work. Okay. And like, she she tells my uh, Auntie Rosie, like, Auntie Rosie's like, tap, 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 with the, the hammer on it. Like, yeah. she's like, no, you gotta pull back and bang on the wall. And Papa came home to a pile of debris in the driveway and a wall gone. So, communication. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> but... But then she started doing more things for herself. Yes. But this was like, she was 40. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, but you didn't, you couldn't. But these, these are things like that are locked up in people's heads. Mm -hmm. That you've got to talk with them to get out. Also, just the general regret. Mm. seeing regret on old people yeah like if you get a chance to hang out with an old person be like what's your biggest regret Whew. and just listen yeah that's yeah they i bet they think a lot about it <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> an unfortunate a lot about it like damn it yeah 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 I mean, some of them are like, damn it. And some of them are like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully you get to that place. But you still think about it. 
yeah. you can maybe forgive yourself and be cool with it, but you still be like, ah, dude, mm. I was a better human, but I'm a better human now. So yeah, our last piece, we want to talk about reframing the top, the tax, the tax obligation that we all have. Oh. Um, I just want to take some time on that because it's, I feel like we've gotten to a really unhelpful place with that. It so taxes, there are only two guarantees, mm. death and taxes. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like everybody wants to believe they're like some Robin Hood shit. Like, what do you mean? Like, like Robin Hood was that, it's, it's, the, it's the legend out of Prince John when uh, King Richard was fighting the Crusades and his brother was a jerk mm. and just like taxing the hell out of people. And that's where the Robin Hood thing came out of. It was like the dude that stole from the jerk king and distributed back to the poor. Right. And everybody wants to believe the Robin Hood. <clears throat> First of yeah. all, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Second of all, you maybe won't look as good in that like green shirt as you think. <clears throat> but the reality is, is that you can't reach everyone. Like as much as point to point can get a lot done, inequity is systemic. We Say that again. Inequity is systemic. All right. Solving for inequity will involve a system. Say that again. A solution <laughs> for inequity will involve a system. <sighs> Because we can't, like there's nothing else. Like, <clears throat> and the book that I saved for the very end is uh, Utopia for Realists. Yeah. And it gets right into UBI and a lot of the reasons why it's amazing. Um, but more importantly, what UBI does that's a little different is it's something that's to everyone. And when we talk about managing the poor, that I say in quotes, you need poor to manage. And you keep people in this place versus we could just give them money. And in order for us to do that, I want that so badly. And in order for us to do that, the people who make a lot, of which I am fortunate enough to be one of those people, we need to pay taxes. You got to come up off of some of that. There is only so much I can spend. There's only so much I really want to spend. Can you reset the camera for me? Mm. Um, and there seems to be a thing that happened through the 70s and 80s where a lot of people started to think, you know, tax, the, the taxation is theft team. They also tend to be the the, uh, you know, anti-fluoride, anti-vaccination, and anti-chemtrails team. I'm not saying it's, it's a complete Venn diagram, but it has a remarkable amount of overlap. And no, taxation is not theft. Taxation is me paying my part. I do not, none of this is a thing that I do by myself. I am standing on the shoulders of giants and many many people that come before me. I exist in a world with assumptions about my appearance, both positive and negative. 
and I have to exist in this world and I want to contribute to it. I don't get to just be like, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. No, that, I didn't make that ball. I didn't make the game that makes the ball fun. And where's your home? And where, yeah, where the fuck am I going? You got streets to that home? <laughs> <clears throat> Gotta cover a bridge somewhere? <clears throat> you want eat food to eat? You want, you know? <sighs> It comes from somewhere. And I remember there was a, I remember there was a point where I lost a discount on my taxes and I was so indignant. <clears throat> I was pissed. <laughs> it was like a, 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 a rental credit for California. Because mm -hmm. our rent is so ridiculously high. We get our own tax credit. And, um, and I remember looking it up and I actually even called them all pissed off. And they explained it to me so calmly. They're so nice. They're so, every time I've had to call the IRS, they're so nice to me. <laughs> um, and they explain it very calmly to me, like over this amount of money and income, you don't get the discount anymore. I was like, oh, I guess I'm happy making more money. Yeah. But yeah. the part where I made more money and somehow I looked at that and saw, oh, but I'm taking home less money, like, made me fly off the handle. And I think if I had a better mentality on about, nah, I, it's a privilege to do this. And I lost a discount and like, it's not a big deal. Mm. It's hard. It's, I don't know, cause I'm remembering when I made little enough that I got all my taxes back, which, <laughs> Like, oh, wow, okay, that's a thing. Um, and when that stopped happening, that was also like, uh, oh, oh, that's a thing. But when, when the tax bracket, when, yeah, when our tax bracket shifted, uh, there, there were voices that were like, hey, that's, that's a horrible thing. Oh my God, you're getting, they're stealing money from you. And I don't know, I felt kind of like, and my response was, no, this isn't bad. This is, I don't see it as a problem. And it's like, well, why do you not see it as a problem? You're get, like, they're taking your money from you. And it's like, well, sure, but it's okay. Cause I like things like going to the library and having it be open and having access to the library was something that was in question at that point in time in our community. So it's like, yeah, I am cool paying taxes because it means I still get to go to the library on Wednesdays. Um, there are, you know, well, you pay taxes on schools and you said you don't wanna have kids. So why are you paying for other people's kids to go to school? Like, because I like smart kids, kids that are learning kids that have to grow up and maybe you want to hire them yeah i mean no please educate the kids please do that i don't care if i don't have kids make the kids smart like give them shovel shovel books at them shovel them information it's okay and that 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 and the idea that something has to benefit you directly in order for it to have any value is like what the no there's a bigger thing at play here <laughs> 
there's also this idea that like um well corporations are doing it really or oh the one percent they don't pay their taxes really or is that are you happy about that just how does that make you feel because it makes me feel mad it makes me angry and i don't want to be doing a thing that's like making my future self or my past self angry yeah. i mean they're not doing it and they're dicks for not doing it and there's a bunch of little ways that like um corporations are like they're ripping us off and you're not clever you're smart yeah you figured out some stuff but it's not you're not clever it's not wise there it there's, is. Yeah, there's intelligence. You can. It takes intelligence in order to figure Super out all the smart. loopholes and manipulate them. But it is not wise because you win and everybody else loses. Like you are, you're pissing in the, you're pissing and shitting all over the public square. It's like just, there's an example that I see all the time about like the way that corporations like sort of abuse shit is the uh, Prop 13 in California. Mm. helped <clears throat> it helped relieve pressure on old people so that they could keep their homes because uh we've talked about real estate in california uh, like the skyrocketing values of property uh, were causing skyrocketing taxation rates for seniors on a fixed income and to fix that problem we created prop 13 and for whatever reason, Prop 13 is a thing that corporations get to benefit from as well. Like it's for old people, but now corporations are using it. And because corporations never die, it's like, these are the people we want to be inspired by? Really? Do you know, if you see, if you're driving through Oakland and you see any of those buildings where like the face of it is held up by girders, but the whole back of the house, the whole building is just shut down. It's just gone. And they're building something behind it. That's a loophole in the, the Prop 13 thing that allows for these old people to remodel their house and not experience an increase in value on the property. So they're still under the Prop 13 thing. If you leave the front facade in place, it stays the same value. So every time you see that, I want you to know that that developer and construction company are wasting money just to rip us off. And those are not the people I'm gonna be inspired by for how I'm gonna live my life. When we talking about like if people who've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, <sighs> white people love it when we find some brown person to, to feed us back our shit. We love it. If some old white guy wrote that book we would string him up by his toenails. But because it was an indigenous Hawaiian fellow, we're like, oh, he can be allowed his class rage. That's fine. We should all now do this thing because he was inspired by his rich dad. There's whole conferences and I don't even, I, I, I don't understand how the IRS doesn't just go and, and, and just sit in the parking lot collecting data. That's why they won't make me president. No, no, they won't no, make me president no, at all. No, no, no. There's a lot of there's a lot of baggage around taxes. And like I said, like moving into a different tax bracket was kind of like, "Oh wow. Okay. Holy cow. We make that much now?" All right. And was sort of like a blink blink. 
this is kind of cool. And feeling like it was a privilege because, yeah, I, I want to contribute to the public good. Um, on the flip side, there are things that I am absolutely livid that tax income, my tax income goes towards. But there's something that has of democracy <laughs> but there's also this um thing i yeah there's something about the the desire to determine someone's value um where it's uh how do i phrase this like no i don't want to contribute to the snap program or you know what used to be food stamps right um because you know they depend on it and every time i hear stuff like that i'm kind of like so like if if the world is fucked up enough that someone actually does have to depend on that in order to eat who the fuck are you to judge that like there's this like people are in these situations well they're depending on it for too long or they're they're a drain on the system says who and in what way if people have to do these things and depend on these programs in order to get basic human needs met then why why is that like some moral there's a, it's it's mentioned in uh utopia outrage. for realist and there's actually a part in the bible <sighs> that seems to be um, the basis for a lot of the you must, those who are not willing to work will starve. That's very Calvinist. It's brutal. <laughs> like I'm not into that at all. <clears throat> and um, like my perspective is it's like, there's nothing natural about capital. Mm. Like if we were hunter gatherers, I could totally get that. Like that's, that's where we're at, you know, where you know, animals with advanced communication, like what have you, like, that's cool. If that's the game we're playing, we, we are cog, we are conscious beings. Now we can totally do better. Why are we choosing to have poor people? We make that choice. Mm. Being poor is not a, 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 a that's character not a flaw. That's not a moral condition. It's not a moral it's condition. Not. It's simply a lack of cash. Yes. Being poor is not. It is not a moral condition. It is not a moral or character judgment. It is a simple lack of cash. And we can solve that. So easily. If people were proud of paying their taxes and proud of the programs that we were contributing to. Like part of the problem that I struggle being proud of what we're contributing to is I'm contributing, dude, ever since I went to Israel, it's hard. Yeah. I'm just I mean, like, that... wow, okay. And like we have a progressive tax rate for the first, you know, $30,000, $50,000, we're paying the same amount of taxes as everybody else. Mm. So it's not like you get taxed more for the those. Anybody that says they take half my income to taxes is mm -mm, a lying mm -mm. jerk. Mm -mm. Because what they're saying is that the taxes on the income that most people make is so insignificant to them, it amounts to nothing. And that's just a shitty thing to say. Because that's the amount of money that really matters to some people. A lot of people. Most people, in fact. There's no reason for us to, to have that be the case. Those upper amount of money is like, 
Like you can take half after a certain point. Like I can't even spend it. I don't like those sorts of things. It's just not what I'm into. So that's sort of our little rant. Do you have more? Please have more. Because it's... I feel like I keep getting real excited and not letting you you talk. No, you get ramped up and then like I just kind of chomp down on it. Yeah, I want to know what that is. Ah. Can you say that? I don't know. Well, like right now, I'm pissed off about the whole like Calvinist moral outrage of people's inherent well-being or not inherent value or you know like you aren't a person unless you are contributing to capital in some way yeah which is some bullshit so new but this until concept we, of capital until we're able to like dig into that and break it apart some there's gonna be such huge pushback on things like i don't know medical mm-hmm. situations being dealt with in some sort of coherent way i mean really attached to your job really and like having like ah there's so many different ways to go about things and we're kind of locked in the room and i just want to take a sledgehammer to everything i mean that's kind of when i choke down is when i want to get up and punch something mm-hmm. i mean so we don't have to punch things because i'm the only one in the room no no and it's <laughs> so but, but it's the words i want to hear the words the words the words are everything is so fucked and there's such an element of fuck you i got mine that's like oh that's that colonialist inspired thing that we talked about at the beginning and it's 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 the water we're swimming in yeah. and when you say i don't want to pay taxes because they go towards propping up an apartheid state the mm. uh, point definite point taken I actually agree with that, that I think it's bullshit that we prop up fucked up regimes all over the fucking place. (sighs) But this is what we have. Mm -hmm. And it's either figure out how to fix it or like tear that sucker down. And I keep flipping back and forth between it. It's like, I want to just dynamite the whole thing or not literally. Um, Or... (laughs) Like, what? what is there that we can do? What is there that we can do? So, yeah, the and first like, step is, like, paying. right now, like, right now, it's like, all right, I'm just like, we're paying. Okay, fine, we're going to pay the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Because us sucking it up and paying is, like, contributing to it's, some good things. It's contributing to, to the future that I believe in, in the future. Like, I want to believe that future is real. And going back to the beginning with the Mr. Money mustache, like, I don't just do that calculation. Like, I have two numbers. I have the calculation that is given current tax rates. And Mm -hmm. I also have a calculation given what I hope for the future is a New Deal-style tax structure that actually taxes significantly more than half beyond a certain point of my income. Mm. So, and that's just based on you know, what you spend. So if you spend more than $200,000 a year, you're going to get taxed substantially over that amount. I feel like that's pretty goddamn reasonable. I'm sitting here thinking about like spending that much. Like, that's a lot. Ouch. And that's even in California, you know? 
Like California, New York, like that could be tight. I could feel you. Like I get it. But still, if we had the programs that we came with, what we could do with this funding, think about what would happen if people could just stay home with their families in rural America because they have basic income and they can just stay home and take care of their parents or just work the farm or start a business or whatever. Be an artist, be a stay-at-home parent. There's just, you know, single-payer health care. What would it be like if people could just get the care that they need? I want to believe that that's possible and it's only possible if I pay my taxes. And it can't, like, it's just like it's this revolutionary concept in America. Like all over the world are just like, no, we pay taxes and the people are taken care of. It's really simple. <laughs> like, no, it can't happen here. It can't happen here. It's, it's no. like we're absolutely convinced that that cannot happen here. It happens. But I don't know. I mean, is that why people don't like to travel? No. <laughs> it's part of the thing where we get shut down. I can, yeah, a part of the thing where we get shut down because we don't want to expand our experience of other places. Like, I didn't really understand a lot of shit before I went traveling. Go, get out some, get out some. But even then, like, I just can't, I just can't get behind rich people who will complain, oh, I I lose half, half my ta- my income to taxes anyway, da-da-da-da-da. I know right there when you say that you're a jerk. Cry me a river. If you I don't want to hear that. Like, <laughs> I literally had an ex-boyfriend say that to me while I was making the money that like he didn't give a fuck about, you know? <laughs> and that was the first like that's exactly what I thought. I was just like in the back of my head. Of course I'm 22 and don't have like the gumption to say that to his face, but at that moment I was like that is just a shitty thing to say. I don't care how fucking rich I am. I'm never fucking saying that. Just don't be shitty. It's not yours. It's a part of a communal good that created you to be awesome. Be awesome. And help other people be fucking awesome. Super easy. Benevolence is a superpower. Oh, dude. Muppets. Benevolent super Muppets. That's what I want for us. (laughs) Like, yeah. So that's... Is that, are we good? Yeah. I'm going to yeah. stop there. Okay. <laughs> Just. Mm. So thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out for a year. For a whole year. All of the attention and any questions or anything, any comments, you know where to find us at kindnessecon.com and That's a thing. kindnessecon at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Episode 11 in the bag. Yeah. So bunch more can... to go find you oh right that part yeah i am bonus parent baba on instagram facebook twitter and also tiktok super tiktok famous right now we didn't even get into that i know next week i'm going to talk about being in tiktok famous oh good lord and i'm courtney king you can find me at cKingSolutions.com. that is the letter c k-i-n-g solutions.com i'm actually on tiktok under that name as well yeah which is yeah. it's, it's I'm starting to do these my little, friends <laughs> starting to do these little instructional videos it's pretty good I like I like I like your videos <laughs> so that is our show for this week thank you so much for joining us please take excellent care of yourself and the people and the world around you travel safe everybody I hope to see you in the future